With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Happy Devils Wednesday. This is the State of the Fan Address. Episode 185. Titled, The Devils Are... Dot, dot, dot. Good question mark. I'm your host, Sam Wu, here with Pucks and Pitchforks blog editor-in-chief, and something happened to his camera feed. I don't know what that was. Nick Volano streaming live on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitter Live, and Twitch on the Let's Go Devils Network. Nick, I, I can hear you can in my you hear ear, but I don't know what happened to your camera feed. What happened? Is that a it, zoom? It shot? died. It like froze and now it's it's pulling from the uh from the Oh, and we lost Nick. Unfortunately we lost Nick. I will have to take over. This is what happens on a live live podcast. We do our tech checks, everything is fine. As soon as you go on air, guess what happens? Something happens. But we have a fine podcast for you tonight. We got Scott Maxwell from the Daily Faceoff and Alex Chavancy of the Hockey Writers because the Devils are really, really, really good right now. Or at least their record shows. I'm not sure what happened to Nick. Nick, I'm going to figure this thing out. But Okay, I can talk. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, me, can they hear me? Yeah, let me. Um, let me. Why don't this. you work on it? Let me talk for five minutes while you. No, while actually, you... I can't do that because I got to disconnect you, uh, in order to make it happen. Okay, you talk and do this. Yeah, I'll talk and do all the tech work. I, I I'll hold the fort. Uh, anyway, Nick, uh, you'll be gone for a little bit. All right, so here's the story. Last night, Devils go into Vancouver. They had a slow start, understandable. Jet lag, 10 p.m. start, uh, whatever it is, it was uh, somewhat of a slow start, but Mackenzie Blackwood did his job, kept the team in it for the first 10 minutes. Vancouver was looking pretty decent, putting their shots on, on goal. All that stuff, and um, guess what happened? The Devils started scoring. And they started scoring, and then uh, pretty much took over the game. I mean, 
let's Horvat made it interesting, but the Devils really took over the game. Confidence, they they were confident, and um, yeah. It, it, now I hear myself in my ear. I had to uh, kick Nick off, but anyway. This is what happens when you do a live, live podcast and there is equipment failure. As the producer and engineer and host, I'm trying to figure it out on live air. I hope you fans appreciate the kind of talent level behind the scenes because it happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. And yeah, and also we have uh, a guest coming up around 840. And sometimes the pressure gets to you. I'm trying to, um, well, now text Nick. Uh, make sure the USB camera is snug and plugged in as I'm resetting his computer. See, this is what goes on behind the scenes. But we got Scott Maxwell, and I've got some pressure on me. Four minutes to get Nick on live air. And get him going. But here's the problem. Uh, Nick is back on, and I was mute the entire time. Oh, I see the problem. What'd you do? You screwed it up, didn't you? When your camera fell in pre-show. Nick, are you there? Nope. Nick, you got to re-log back in. See, Nick now is trying to be like the producer and trying to figure it out, but I will do it for him because that's what I do. Nick, uh, I hear you now. What'd you do? Because the camera fell during pre-show. I didn't think much of it. Did no, you damage see, something? No, there. Well, may I? I don't think so. But there's something wrong with one of the ports because I flipped the ports, and then when I flipped the ports, the camera worked, and then the sound didn't work. So I have to use another port. Let the engineer handle it. Well, it wouldn't have worked if I didn't if I didn't change the ports. We have completely different ports now. Well, I, I sent you a text. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't think the listeners want to know what our tech problems are. But at least, like in true New Jersey Devils fashion of this season, we figured it out. The Devils have yeah. figured it out. And we just and gave you, know- you a live, live example how we figured stuff out on air, and I still don't know how it was fixed. But it doesn't matter because we're winning, and our guest is going to come up soon. Yeah, so anyway, um, and I was telling you before the podcast, first of all, you didn't say anything about the hat. Let's talk. Do you see the hat? Nick, uh, from a distance, I thought that was a New Jersey Nets hat. (laughs) Oh, that's weird. (laughs) No, yeah. I, I found the Dougie Hamilton pork roll hat. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was uh, – so um, I believe it's called True Jersey is, is, is the site. So if you, want, if you want this pork roll hat, this nifty pork roll hat. Um, <laughs> I got yeah, go I, I to interrupt you. The comments in YouTube Live was, you're muted, Sam. You got two problems now, LOL. <laughs> oh, and two start to the podcast today, Evan. Oh, Bravo. Man. That that oh, was a great man. analogy right there. Uh, kudos to our listeners. Kudos to all those 
that, hey, you know what? We have dumpster fires here on the podcast as well. Do you guys start chanting fire woo, fire woo? No, within uh, 10 seconds or in 10 Do you really days, want to ask them if they do that? Do you want to know if they do that, Sam? I don't think you want. Uh, you know what, Nick? Uh, here's my segue to your beautiful article that's now up on PucksAndPitchForks.com because we saved the day in about 10 seconds, but Lindy Ruff saved the day or saved his job in 10 days, and I'm, I'm going to go full screen on uh, the website, PucksAndPitchForks.com, Nick, and I will say... The title is very revealing. New Jersey Devils, colon, how to save your job in 10 days. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, obviously I was trying to do a little fun wordplay there, right? But um, I, it, it's so funny how things turned around in 10 days. October 15th, the Devils fans are chanting, fire Lindy, fire Lindy, over and over again. It was deafening. Lindy Ruff had to uh, had to address it in the post-game comments, talking about the passion of the Devils fan. And he, he said, you know, I can't remember word for word what he said, but it was something to effect of, I get it. You know, yeah, he, and, he and gets it. And this was it. after the 16-second uh, interview question from the previous game. Yeah. Was, yep. So, you know, Lindy was already, you know, he was a little, I don't want to say heated, but he was short in the, in the first game um, when he was asked about playing time for Jesper Bratt. And, but he was contrite. It was something I hadn't seen in Lindy Ruff. I will say this. And he, he made changes, you know, he made nothing drastic, Sam, and not the changes that I'm over. I'm over the lines changing all the time and over things, but he made changes to the system. He made changes of what he impacts, truly impacts. And the devil started finishing um, they started getting big shots in, in high danger areas, uh, and they made a big comeback. They showed tenacity against the Ducks. Um, they showed a, a finishing ability against the Red Wings. They showed that they could shut a team down against the Islanders. They're winning in different ways, Sam, but it's it's all basically the same system. And I got to hand it to Lindy Ruff because Lindy Ruff looks like a really good coach right now. Yeah, and I'm glad he's doing well because I've I've had text messages from friends. Uh, DM saying that, Sam, please don't quadruple down on your Lindy Ruff love. <laughs> uh, and I was getting scared there because it was going to blow up in my face. But Lindy Ruff in 10 days, um, hey, the Devils are winning. And the way they're winning is uh, actually pretty impressive, the way they're peppering shots. But our next guest is in the green room. Oh, nice. Is in the green room. So after an 0-2 start on this podcast – of technical issues, uh, fumbling, uh, disorganized. Uh, we, we even gave up a shorthanded goal uh, in the first 10 minutes of this podcast. But now we have Scott Maxwell uh, from the Daily Faceoff on. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at ScottMaxW. Scott, you're on with Sam and Nick. How are you tonight? I'm excellent. How are you guys? Oh, we're great. We're, we're very excited to have you on, Scott. Uh, Scott, you wrote about the Devils this week on Daily Faceoff. It was part of your uh, Power Rankings column. Um, it's been an exciting week. That's why we're having you on. We're really happy to have you here. Yeah, yeah no, I'm uh, happy to be on. happy to talk some Devils a little bit, even though it's not exactly my field. But uh, anything is, you know, just 
Sorry, lost my train of thought there. But yeah, no, no worries. We're they, they've been hockey. playing really good hockey. Yeah. Yeah. They've been playing we're, really we're good talking hockey, hockey here. And I'm excited to have you on because I, I do think that your your expertise is warranted and you're being trite and I appreciate that. But it's going to be fun. So let, let's jump right into it. The Devils have been dominant against most of their opponents uh, prior to the Vancouver game last night. Um, they were still able to win last night. Uh, and, and I mean, if you look at the final score, 5-2, it looks like dominant fashion. If you watch the game, not so dominant. But were you, in a word, more impressed that this team is winning without those dominant performances, without doubling up on shots of their opponent um, in a night where, the, you know, you need a little puck luck, you need a little tenacity. Is, is that more impressive than what you've seen prior to that? Um, I think... Like, it's it's impressive, like, on its own. If it's, like, mm. something that happens from time to time, it's certainly, like, good that they can still pull out wins even on their worst nights. But if that is, like, more of what's to come with the Devils, then that might be a little bit more cause for concern. <laughs> um, <laughs> if anything, I always find it more impressive when teams, like, start off strong, take a big lead, and then just keep, hammering down after that because you don't see that a lot in with a lot of teams like you'll get that 3-1 lead and you'll just sit back and uh, let the clock run out and sometimes that comes back to bite them in the butt so it's nice to see that especially with that uh, Columbus game on what Sunday yeah um, like even when they took that big lead even with um, the fact that they were playing a weaker opponent they just kept hammering down on and kept getting points and goals and yeah um and but in a case of last night still even seeing them survive that first period i think was where it looked like they struggled the most and getting you know they got some goaltending from blackwood to keep them well they were still scoring so it's not like they were like in desperate need of it but you know he kept it a shutout as well for a long time while they were struggling and then it was almost more impressive that even when they were playing bad and they had um, started to, well, even when they had the big lead after playing bad, they realized still, oh, we still need to play better. And then picked up on that and were playing better throughout the rest of the game, even with that four nothing lead for a while. And even like as the Canucks scored goals, it wasn't so much that the devils were playing bad. It's just, that's when the Canucks happened to capitalize on their chances. Um, And listen, and and even, yeah. No, I great. Uh, I, I mean, those are great points. Um, I, I and I agree with you on 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 being impressed by the tenacity. I'm reminded of the 2019 home opener where they went up for nothing and then lost. So it isn't, and that was a bad team. I call that the Nikita Gusev year because that's all I remember is that we were so excited about a guy who's has one of the worst NHL careers I've ever seen in my life. Um, but. It, I think that the tenacity of this team, that's the difference is the mindset of this is never enough. And and this is going to, we need to continue with whatever we're doing when it's going well. Um, I I, I do want to kind of jump to um, something I haven't talked about a ton because I kind of don't know what to make of it. Maybe you can help me out here. Uh, Andre Palat, he's out for weeks, maybe probably months. But I'll say weeks just to, you know, we're, we're still waiting on, on a true timetable. But he had groin surgery. That sounds terrible. 
Um, <laughs> how much do you think that's going to impact this team? He was the big sign in the $6 million man. Is this going to be something that, you know, they played completely differently last night. It wasn't the first night without him, but do you think that this is going to have a long-term effect on the ability of this team to win? Well, I think you're certainly going to miss a guy like Andre Pilat. Um, just what he brings to a team uh, is certainly valuable. We've seen it for so many years with Tampa Bay, just his ability to be plugged into any line in the lineup, really. And he can just connect with the guys he's playing with just because that's like you don't see that from a lot of players where they just have that ability to be a consistent two way threat and just a constant four checker and be a pain in the ass to some players. Um, And then that creates a lot of the space for the skilled guys, like as we saw with Point, Kucherov and Stamkos in Tampa and now. Um, I'm, I'm not, I forget which lines he was playing on early on, but still like guys like he's sure he was brat, you know, he's going to create space for them. Um, I guess like, um, if there is an upside, it's the fact that, um, like at least timing wise, it came early in the season. So he'll be back in the lineup, hopefully when, um, you know, the games start to get more important. Um, and he also hasn't really established chemistry with any of the Devils yet. So mm-hmm. it's not like they're missing out. Like, oh, no, now we have this big hole in the lineup that we can't fill. It's They're still experimenting with the lineup early on. And I did see that uh, Fabian Zetterlin was getting some reps in the top mm-hmm. six now in his place. And while I'm not like a big prospect expert or anything, we have other people on Daily Faceoff for that. Um, mm-hmm. Just some of the numbers I've seen of what, Zetterlin has put up in the early going, both like with his uh, play driving ability and his scoring ability have looked pretty promising. So I'm kind of excited to see how he does in the top six role uh, in place of Pilat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that he's a he is a prospect that a lot of Devils fans are very excited about. He played in the NHL at the end of last season and looked very promising. Um, he's been in and out of the lineup to start this year. He's kind of one of those weird waivers because he's no, he's no longer waiver or he is waiver eligible. I'm always weirded out by how to say that. He would have to go through waivers to go down to the AHL. So the Devils are kind of hamstrung to keep him on the roster because they would lose him. Somebody would claim him, you know, the Coyotes or the Kings or, you know, whether it's a bottom feeder team or a team in the middle, somebody was going to take him off their hands if, if he put him through waivers. So he he was fortunate enough to stay on the roster and kind of practice with the team. And when he got a chance, he's jumping right in the top six, like you said. And that's incredibly impressive. Like, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table because he's he's got the quote-unquote NHL body, like six foot three, 215 pounds, you know, a bruiser who can score. Like, he has a lot of the things that you want to see if you're a traditional hockey fan, I guess. Right? Is that what I'm – is that, like, the words I'm looking for? He He looks like a hockey player kind of thing. Yeah, like he looks like that traditional hockey player kind of vibes, even if like that's not necessarily his playing style. Like I don't really see him running around fighting people, I guess. But yeah, he's got that big physical style to him. Um, And, you know, his linemate is Nico Heischer, who's been on flipping fire to start the year. He he looks every bit the number one overall pick that he was. You know, maybe he's not Kale McCarr. But I do not regret getting Nico Hisha in that draft right now. He looks like he could be that supreme two-way player. You know, I don't want to throw out the names like Patrice Bergeron because he's one of the best who's ever done that 
specific style of play. But when you talk about that style of play, Nico Heischer looks like he can be an 80, a 75, 80 point player who can also play on the penalty kill and, and shut you down. Am I seeing this out of rose color glasses? Am I, do I have pretty boy eyes right now for, for my captain or, or from, you know, a, a neutral observer like you, Scott, are you seeing the same thing? Are you seeing a two way dynamo right now? I think we're definitely starting to see that for sure. Um, like he, well, Heischer has just been so underrated throughout his like entire career up to this point, just because, uh, well, like, as you mentioned, he was picked first overall in a draft that was then later saw Kale McCarr go. So he's always going to be like, oh, well, he's not that good. Um, and he hasn't put up, up until last season, the big flashy point totals that everyone likes to see when judging if a guy is good or not. And he also has dealt with his fair share of injuries. So he just hasn't played as much. So just not a lot of eyes on him either. Um, so like, you're not, you're going to have people like think that, you know, oh, maybe he's a bust, boom, bust, stuff like that. But yeah. the thing is, uh, he really hasn't been at the very least bad defensively uh, throughout his career. Like his numbers and his rookie season were a bit rough in that regard. But since then, he's at the very least been solid holding his own. Um, we haven't really, it's hard, it's hard to tell if he really is like a driver of like just a strong defensive line because he's either been on teams that have been horrendously bad defensively <laughs> that just, it, it's not as hard to compare to, or in the case of a season like this, where just everyone is so good defensively, it's hard to truly tell right now if it's him that's driving the bus, but there's a lot of good signs that he is at the very least a like competent two-way player probably ends up being the guy later on in their careers that uh, is the one that they throw to shut down the other opponent's top line while also getting a lot of points. He's scoring more now as well. So I think that's going to give him a lot of attention. Um, and also, you know, he's still only 23. I think we kind of forget yeah. that that's still pretty young. Um, he's just starting to enter those prime years of mm. just him being a threat in the NHL because you know we see guys like Matthews McDavid they're lighting the league when they're 19 20 so we that's a well and he's a first overall pick too so he's going to get that comparison but um I think yeah we are slowly starting to see he sure become I I don't want to throw Selkie out there yet um but like he's certainly becoming a solid defensive forward yeah, and and I definitely agree with all those points. I think that's that that makes a lot of sense because um it's hard to be a solid defensive forward when you're 20, 21. You know, you're not fully filled out and you're getting used to the speed of the game and you mentioned his rookie season. He actually played with Taylor Hall that year. And that was the year that Taylor Hall won the MVP, so it was that was just a wild year in general. So I think it was like you know, you're a rookie and you're playing with a superstar who wins MVP and you're on the franchise, you go back to the playoffs. So I feel like he was just trying to catch up. You know what I mean? Like he was just trying to keep up with it all. Um, but somebody who's not having any trouble keeping up with it all is Jesper Bratt. Jesper Bratt has looked like one of the best players in the NHL. And I've looked at all the stats. I've, I've tried to not look at this in rose color glasses, but this guy... He's up there in points. He's up there in in advanced statistics. He looks the part. He's playing the part. What 
from your from your side of things, from just a an observer of the NHL, what what <laughs> I guess my first question is how big of a mistake did the Devils make giving him a one year deal this offseason? Um well, if I remember correctly, that was more him insisting on that kind of a one-year deal, right? Like, I feel Correct. like that was more him wanting to bet on himself. So in that sense, it wasn't necessarily management's fault uh, because there's not much you can really do when a player's like, I want a one-year deal. Um, like, this isn't like uh, NHL GM mode where you can, like, change the years and maybe adjust the salary a little bit and they'll agree to it. Um, like, as a Leafs fan, I saw that with Austin Matthews when his contract was initially up, like... You'd want to see him sign seven or eight years, but you wanted five. You can't really say no to whatever Matthews wants. Um, so, like, that's a that's a big thing, too. But I also don't blame management, even if it was also their decision to maybe bridge him for that extra year. Because while we have started to see Rat become a really good player in the NHL, it wasn't really until last season that he took that extra step and became – like at worst close to elite, if not elite. Mm -hmm. And when you only have one season to look at for that stuff, it's not the worst idea to take a bet and just be like, Hey, let's maybe try another year. Let's make sure that he's, um, this is the kind of player that we have in him before we sign him to big money. Because if he ends up being really good, but not elite, then you get him at, you know, five years for long term. But if he ends up being elite, then maybe it's closer to eight or nine. While if they did that in the past summer, you're probably looking at like closer to seven. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if there are any numbers thrown out as to whether or not he was um, like what his contract or his salary would look like if he was signed long term. Um but not that not that anything that's confirmable absolutely like there's everything is just kind of an educated guess at this point yeah i i tried to find something earlier today to see if i had any ideas but i couldn't find anything either um but like assuming yeah it was maybe going off of his um arbitration um what he filed in arbitration if it was like 6 million for one year you assume he probably would have looked for around 7 for long term um, so like if you have him locked up to $7 million and he ends up being a 50 score point scorer, it's not the best contract to have, um, especially at this state in the devil's franchise when they want to start being competitive years after year. While yeah. if you have a 80, 90 point score locked up to 9 million, that's not the worst case scenario, even if it is a mm -hmm. couple extra million dollars than you did before. Um, that that's but, fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So my second part of that question is, from an outsider's point of view, does he look like somebody who's going to be one of the better players in the league? Does he look like an elite player like you, you mentioned before? A lot of the numbers are definitely pointing in that direction. Um, again, I, I'm always someone who's kind of on the side of caution before mm. really crowning players. Like, I need to see at least a couple full seasons before I really decide – like if this player is legit um, in this regard, obviously he's good. Like with, we, we know he's an NHL player, but um, uh, yeah. Um, and then maybe like, like I'm not sure what kind of contract you'd get in the off season just because winger versus center deals are always so tough to nail down because you might have a 
guy, a winger who's scoring at the same pace as a center, but will get a million or two less than him. Um, plus with the, with the devils too, um, you know, you have he sure at, uh, just over seven, you have Brad at 8 million or Brad, sorry, Hughes at 8 million. Mm, um, so like depending on how the devils want to play this out, do like, could Brad even be asking for more than Hughes in that situation? Like, can they just be like, well, no, Hughes makes this so you can't make more than him. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and we kind of saw that with Colorado, right? They they Joe Sackick would always play the McKinnon makes this. Do you think you're worth more than McKinnon? And it would it worked until Rantanen, and then Rantanen broke the bank, and now McKinnon makes what twelve and some twelve and change starting next year. So twelve point six, I think it's like right. a shade more than McDavid. Um, uh. I'm sure that wasn't purposeful, right? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Not I think. If I remember correctly, the contract is literally double his last salary. I, I feel like it was definitely intentional. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, no, I, I again, the, they, the Devils let Brett bet on himself. It was better than going to arbitration in their minds, which I agree with. And he's winning, you know, and, you know, if, if you got to pay him more than Hughes, especially with the cap looking like it's going to go up again, you know, I, I you know, you can't lose a Brat. You, you just can't. You know, it, it's it's something you just can't do. It's it's a it's a marvel that you got this six round pick to look like he did. You know, do you in, in short, do you agree that you there's nothing you could do? There's no number that you'd say no to within reason. Uh, well, yeah, like as long as it's, I think if you're getting into double digits, then that's where it starts to get a mm-hmm. bit um, muddier waters. But yeah, like mm-hmm. I think anything. Around if it's around the same price as Hughes or Heischer, I think you definitely have to, uh, you know, go for that because at the end of the day, it's more important to have your star players and just consistently build around them year after year. Especially if you have G- a GM who is really good at like finding cheaper talent, which, or in the case of the Devils right now, because they do have plenty of cap space, they can also make uh, moves to get maybe not cheaper talent, but, you know, talent that's undervalued because they might have a slightly pricier contract in the eyes of the teams that hold them. Like uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand, I think uh, mm. the deal that sent him to Seattle, while I really like that deal, you know, that was one that Columbus had to move. So I think that's something that the Devils could be in the market for as well, even if Brat's making closer to eight or nine million with all the contracts that they have coming up this season. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Scott Maxwell, daily face off. I want to give you a minute just to kind of promote what you're doing. What, where can people find your work? What are you working on right now? How, how can everybody find what you're doing? Um, well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, S C O T M A X W basically my first four and last four of my name. Uh, pretty yeah. easy. Plus there's a lot of Scott Maxwell's on Twitter. So it's hard to create a creative handle, uh, for that. Um, I don't tweet as much as I used to, which is probably a good thing. Uh, so you'll just get smarter thoughts and less frequently, and I won't cloud your timeline. Um, but I do share my work on there that I do with Daily Faceoff. I'm mostly just a news writer at this point, um, but I do do the power rankings as we've uh, as what part of what got the attention of bringing me on this show because I had the yeah. Devils ranked first this week. Um, so I've been doing Love that it. and. Um, yeah, maybe there will be more in the future, but for now, uh, that's what I do. Uh, you can also, well, 
go to the website itself, Daily Faceoff, if you don't have Twitter, and you can see my work, and you can also see some of the work of just some fantastic writers that we have on the team, uh, senior editors like uh, Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis, and then we even have some younger writers on their way up, uh, like Mike Gold, Colton Davies, and myself. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we'll definitely have more more of those writers on. Uh, we love Daily Faceoff. We think it's it's definitely on the up and up. Um, we've had a couple already on Steve Ellis. We've had on a couple times. Um, Ryan Lambert, I think, still writes for Daily Faceoff, right? He's been on on the podcast before. So is he is he still with uh, Daily Faceoff? Lam- Lambert isn't. Uh, I think he's. I think he's EP ringside now. I believe. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I, um, I, that's maybe, my fault. I, no. <laughs> no worries. What, see, I need a script, Scott. I need a script. I need. I, I need people to help me along the way. That's my fault. I apologize. But we've definitely had. No um, we definitely had Ellis on. Ellis is a great guest. Um, a couple yeah. other, you know, yeah, we definitely had guy. others from Daily Faceoff. So, and we're going to have more. And Scott, you've been a great guest. We'll definitely have you on again. We really enjoyed our conversation. We thought it was a lot of fun and we hope you had fun too. Yeah, no, it was great to be on and chat devils with you guys. Uh, hope to see you guys around sometime soon. Talk to you soon, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Uh, and keep them number one. That is Scott Maxwell, Daily Faceoff writer, does the power rankings. Mm-hmm. And I know all you Devils fans are saying, hey, we're finally getting respect, but just you got to thank Nick Villano. He's starting to lobby a little bit. <laughs> I'm pushing. <laughs> I'm pushing these people because I, I have a lot of lobbying power, don't you know? I'm, 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 I'm clearly a, a figurehead in this community. You are, you are. I don't want to use those. I don't want to use those bud uh, buzzwords that starts with an I. Oh, an influencer. Yeah, I, I, there are certain marketing terms. I, I don't like the word content. I don't like the word influencer. I don't. Sam, like... do you know? Do you want to be sad? What? I'm gonna make you sad. What? One of the number one most wanted jobs for young people, like young young people, like little kids, is influencer now. Oh, I know that. But can you rename it something else that doesn't sound so, I don't know, conniving? Yeah. I mean, I guess content creator is is the technical term, right? I would just call it, I put my stuff out there, and if you like it, great. If not, take a hike. It's a very long name for a job, Sam. It's a long name. How would you fit that on your resume? Hire me. <laughs> okay. And my resume. Yeah. Sam, how do you have a job with this resume? Like, what is this? <laughs> it says hire me in big letters at the top. It's like, what job do you want? I uh, want the job where you give me money to do lots of things and the things are really good and I'm really good at the things. I, I just don't like those buzzwords, I'll tell you, because you know, you hear it, you know what it is, whatever. You know, you know what makes this podcast so successful, Nick, besides the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. Um, is it influencers? No, we just we just act like ourselves. Whether we, I mean, look, we screwed up three times before we had this guest on. Yeah. Before we had, and Scott then I screwed on. up with the guest. I I, I mentioned the guy yeah. from a different website. Yeah, that was my you fault. might as well, you might as well mention the you know their their enemy. I don't know, but uh, the the point Say is, is but we mess up all the time on this podcast constantly. I don't. You know, uh, what 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 are you trying for here, Sam? What's the, what's the goal of this conversation? 
We're not a bunch of phonies, essentially. Oh. This is who we are. That's what makes this. Uh, that's what I think makes the podcast so influential. <laughs> sure. So you better go on November twelfth to American Whiskey for our tweet up, which I'm going to start promoting starting tomorrow. Now that I, you know, now that I've uh, settled my uh, my uh, my business down in Delaware. Yeah. Mm. So November twelfth. It's going to be a Jesper Bratt-themed night. It's also military night as well at The Rock. And uh, come to American Whiskey, 51 Edison Place, across the street from Prudential Center, next to Championship Plaza. It's going to be a good time, pre-game, post-game. Also, we're working with uh, a couple other um, sources, but we're looking to give away more tickets. Ooh, we're looking to give to away more tickets. I'm telling to you to that game, November twelfth. No, on November twelfth, we're going to give out tickets for another. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, no, we're 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 smart marketing strategists now. Now I'm using. You got to get them back in the building. You got to yeah. get them back in the building. Don't get them in the building tonight. Get them back. In. They're already here. Get them yeah. back in the building. Yeah, and um, yeah. Oh. Boy, I am. I, I apologize to our next guest. He's in the green room. See, we screw up a lot on this podcast, so I'm going to apologize. There's champagne and grapes in the grape room. Alex yeah. is doing fine. I'm yeah. Just, sorry yeah. to make you wait, Alex. Uh, yeah, Alex. Um, uh, uh, when you go to a game, uh, just stop by American Whiskey. We'll take care of everything. Uh, a friend, a good friend of the podcast, Alex Chavansi from the Hockey Writers. You can find him on Twitter at Alex C underscore THW. Alex, how's the champagne in, in the green room? Uh, pretty good. I definitely can't complain here. You know, no issues at all, especially it's like, you know, win, I know it's only 10 games into the season. Let's call it winning champagne. Yeah, listen. I, I've popped the champagne from being the off-season champion three years in a row now, so this is great. Yeah, that's enough of that. <laughs> um, so, uh, Alex Chavansi, we've had you on many a times, um, and we bring you on when we need someone to kind of talk us through the analytics, not the beef analytics, which Sam over there is. He, he just wants to talk Alex, about how much everybody weighs. Alex, I'll keep my mouth shut, but one of these days we got to talk about this new beef analytics. There's some truth to it. There's a lot of truth to Beetle, it. Beefalytics? I don't even think. What is that? It is a made-up term that uh, came about on, on this podcast. And now it's just oh, like, it, all right. it, it is just. It's, there's T-shirts. Uh, we, we've had, yeah, there's T-shirts. Uh, we've had conversations right, with Chico Resch on it. I'll have to fill you in. Oh, man. Because, you know, there's, yeah. I, you know, there's a. A, a metric of IQ, you know, the brain IQ. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. This is like the version of EQ, if I'm going to make a, a analogy of it. There's IQ and there's okay. EQ. Bephalytics is more of uh, an eye test of who can be disruptive with their physical presence. And Th This uh, okay. sounds like it's harder to calculate than war, Sam. <laughs> for example, I'll, I'll, uh, don't oh, let me interrupt your interview, but just for example... Uh, Nathan Bastion, his beefalytics is through yeah. the roof right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that whole fourth line, really. Uh, Miles Wood, McLeod, too. They've been playing really well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, and 
Alex, you, you understand the actual analytics and, and things like <laughs> XG and XGA and other very complicated mathematical terms that, see, I'm the words guy. I put the words together. I make them all fancy. They sound real great. But when you give me numbers, I'm just going to be like, yeah, let me get my calculator. It's right on my iPhone. This is great. Alex, you know what the numbers actually mean. So as they say on Reddit, explain like I'm five. What does it mean <laughs> that the Devils are doing so well at XG and XGA and all these other analytics, making them look like one of the best teams in the league? What, what's happening here? Yeah, so simply put, um, expected goals is a shot-based metric and Megan Chaika was talking about this on TSN about the Devils specifically, I think, last night before the Canucks game. And expected goals it measures shot quality because um, not every shot is equal. Like a point, a shot from the point is not as high quality as something you're going to get from the slot. So that's what expected goals is. It's measuring. It's a shot-based metric that measures shot volume and shot quality. And the Devils have been really, really good in expected goals to start the season. Um, they're basically right up there with the Carolina Hurricanes in most expected goal stats um, on any site you use, either Evolving Hockey, Natural Stat Check, or Money Puck. Uh, they're right there with the Hurricanes right now, and the Florida Panthers are not too far, far behind them either. Um, so yeah, they. I guess I would easily put it this way. I mean, their seven to three record is definitely justified based on the way they've played at five on five so far. Um, you could even argue maybe they should have an, maybe one more win than they do right mm -hmm. now. Uh, maybe that Flyers game was pretty winnable, but the Flyers have some voodoo magic going on right now, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Devils really look like they, they've gotten off to good starts these last couple of seasons under Lindy Rothman. Everyone knows, obviously, they just kind of fell off for various yeah. different reasons. But this time it looks like it's definitely a lot more sustainable than it was uh, the previous two seasons. Yeah, it definitely does. It looks like it does look like the system or the team competition. Something is is working in something's favor for the Devils, and and they're looking a lot better. And in last yeah. year, last year, one thing that was really driving the bus was Jack Hughes. When Jack Hughes was healthy, the team was rolling, especially with his line out there. His line was always dominant. This year, it's been a little weird. Uh, Nico Heischer and Jesper Bratt's line has been really dominant. And then the Jack Hughes line was inconsistent up until about four games ago. And mm -hmm. Jack Hughes has been able to kind of, I don't want to say he's falling under the radar, but uh, as much as Jack Hughes on the New Jersey Devils can fall under the radar, he kind of has because we haven't talked about him as much on this podcast. I haven't written about him and nobody on my site has written about him. I haven't seen a lot of Jack Hughes articles in general. I've seen a lot of Jesper Bratt articles. I've seen a lot of Jesper Bratt tweets. I've seen a lot of Nico Heischer tweets. Jeff Merrick talks about Nico Heischer. People are talking about John Marino. Nobody's talking about Jack Hughes. In your opinion, Alex, with all this hype around so many other players on this team, is this still, quote-unquote, Jack Hughes' team? Is he the face of the franchise, the best player, everything, all of the above? Uh, I would say yes. It's kind of funny, too, that no one's really talking about him, even though he has 10 points in 10 games. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think this just kind of like speaks to the expectations everyone had on him based on how he played in those 49 games he played a season ago. Um, but 
just because he's not perform, or I wouldn't say performing, just because he doesn't have the point totals that Jesper Bratt has right now doesn't mean he's not playing well. I mean, he was just kind of a little bit snake bitten in those first few games. And like you said before, these last four games, I think, uh, was it Todd Cordell post pointed it out after the game last night? He has eight points in his last four games. So it's mm-hmm. starting to come around for him. Um, but like the shot and chance generation, just, you know, fancy stats aside, I mean, that's all been there for him. Uh, through the first 10 games of the season. Uh, he was just kind of getting unlucky himself, and then team wasn't really scoring too much when he was on the ice either. But that's starting to change, and uh, I think you're going to be hearing a lot more about Jack Hughes over these next ten, the next 10 games segment because um, I think he's about to go off. I think he's already mm. starting to go off as it is. Um, I still think it's his team too. It's just now that it's not only his team anymore. Like, he's mm-hmm. the main guy still, but it's also Jesper Bratt and Nico Heischer's team because they're both off to really, really great starts. I mean, Jeff Merrick has just been pumping the Nico Heischer for Selkie campaign to, I don't know, for like the last week at least, and he's got a legit argument for it. So, um, but yeah, I'd still say Jack is the guy. I think at the end of the day, he's probably going to end up, I'd be surprised if Bratt's scoring stays the way it does, but if it does that wouldn't surprise me either but i still think jack is probably gonna end up being the team's leading scorer when it's all all said and done and you just kind of alluded to nico he sure so that's that's where we're gonna jump there because you know of all the surprises on the team there, there's a couple of really good ones and i think the best one has to be nico he sure because if you get nico he sure playing at this level you know i i i I can't tell you the again. You're the math guy, Alex. I can't tell you his pace right off the top of my head, but it, it, it's got to be around 80 points right now, an 80 point pace. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a little more than that because I'm writing an article about like 10 thoughts on 10 games. I think he's mm. uh, at like a 92 point pace right now, so something around there. So, so even if he stays uh, at 80, yeah, right. He's yeah, that's that's phenomenal, right? That yeah, of and course. that gives you two legitimate number one centers, which is what the Devils fans have been looking for this whole time. Are are your thoughts and your you know, you said you're kind of putting this in your next article. What what are your thoughts on the captain's hot start? Is this a sustainable method of of success? Uh th- yeah, I think it is. We saw a little bit of it last season. Um he played really well. He's produced was I think sixty points in seventy games, which is about seventy points in eighty two games. So we saw it coming from him last season and you know he even since his rookie season he kind of had this reputation of being you know two way stalwart which mm-hmm. wasn't exactly true um but last season his defensive game really took a step forward and now it's kind of like hey he might be in the selkie conversation at the end of the season I was listening to Merrick and Wish uh this afternoon and they were mm-hmm. talking about it and Wish said that he surveyed um a bunch of anonymous voters um, and then I think he sure was in the top three for the Selkie right now. So wow. obviously Patrice Bergeron still number one. So mm. uh, I don't know if his scoring is uh, still sustainable is going to be sustainable. Like right now he'd be on pace for 45 goals and 91 points is just what Jack Hughes basically paced for last season. Mm. I don't know if that's going to last, but I think the whole two way game there is that's there for good. I think he's a, uh, He's going to be playing the hard defensive minutes while Lindy is going to be deploying Jack and, you know, more offensive minutes to try to get him out there to score. But, um, yeah, I think what Nico is doing is sustainable. I think it's legit. 
And I love to hear that. I love to hear the the guys who can dig into those numbers think that they these guys are going to stick around. You know, barring injury, obviously, knock on wood. But uh, the, seeing Nico in this mode, like this is like Super Saiyan Nico Heischer. Like he's he's taking <laughs> things to a level I did not think. We talked about the potential so much over the last couple of years, and we probably talked about you and me, Alex. Just whether it was on Twitter, or whether it was here on the podcast, just because. It was such a topic of conversation for so long of where's Nico Heischer's ceiling, you know, and, and it became a little bit more prevalent when Kale McCarr kind of jumped out to the hot start becoming the best defenseman in the league. And Miro Heiskanen is a phenomenal player. Elias Pettersson is a phenomenal player. So it put a little bit more pressure on Nico Heischer to whether perceived or, or reality it put a little bit more pressure being in that draft class you know luckily the devils didn't pick nolan patrick they ended up with nico heischers was still a phenomenal player last year but you know i i do think and then just maybe give me your thoughts on what you know that i do think that being in that draft class does put a little bit more pressure on him to be very very good if not great yeah, especially since, you know, the guys you mentioned that have emerged and even Jason Robertson, who went a lot mm-hmm. later than those guys. I'm pretty sure he was in that class too, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he's he turned was, into yeah. like a top line. Yeah, so he's turned into a top line winger now. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely a little more pressure on him, um, especially since like I, there was like rumors that I think have gotten out there that, you know, the Devils were looking between uh, Kale McCarr and Nico Heischer. It wasn't a Nolan mm-hmm. versus Nico kind of debate for them. Um, but you know, if Nico keeps up this pace and like, I don't know to complain, even last season, when you kind of saw him producing at a 70 point pace, it's like, all right, this is definitely, it's, it's a lot like 20. I'm not a fan of doing the whole 2020 revisionist history kind of thing. Cause like at the time there was no way, I think if that was, I picked Makar at the time, people would have gone nuts that they picked like a, a defenseman who wasn't even playing in like the CHL. He was playing in the H, AJHL. And, you know, it's easy to say now, like, oh, they should have taken McCarr because he's maybe, you know, top three defenseman in the league. But, yeah, I, th- I think with Heischer now, especially his two-way game coming around, uh, that just, you know, that kind of solidifies making the, the decision that Cheryl made at the time. And, yeah, I mean, if he keeps up this pace, you can't go back and be like, oh, I wish we had Elias Pettersson or something like that. I would even, I think right now I'd probably take Heischer over Pettersson. Like, Pettersson's still a really good player, but. I think um, he shares the more complete pair than Patterson. Patterson's more about his offensive game than anything else. Um, so, yeah, that's where I am with Nico Heischer. I'd, you know, I wouldn't go back and change that pick, especially with how he's played, I guess, the last, what would it be now, like 80 games of his career? So, Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that I've, I've said that, of course, I would love to have Kale McCarr. Like, of course I would. Um, getting Kale McCarr also comes with a lot of sacrifices. You don't make the playoffs in 2018 with Kale McCarr because he was in college and you'd have Pavel Zaka as your first line center with that team. Taylor Hall is yeah, not winning an MVP I, with Pavel yeah. Zaka. Um, the Devils probably forced him to come out of college after the first year because they were bereft on the defensive line and Ray Sherrill wanted to have a winner. So we probably would have put him out there. So maybe he doesn't develop into one of the best in the world because he doesn't have that extra year development in college to be a dominant star at UMass. Again, I could go on and on and on, but like you said, McCarr wasn't even the best defenseman in that class going in. It was Heiskanen. By like yeah. he was supposed to be the generational talent. So 
I, I think that a lot of people would have been ripping their hair out if Cheryl went up there and, and made the McCarr pick. Um, I do know, I've been told that there are there were scouts banging the drum for McCarr, but there's a, I mean, you've seen those rooms. There's a lot of scouts, you know, and I'm sure a lot of them have <laughs> yeah. very big opinions. So, you know, I'm sure there was somebody in there who was like Petters and Petters and Petters. And, um, but because McCarr is where he is, you know, it's going to come out that somebody, if somebody was banging the table, it's going to come out that they were. Um, but maybe the devil's lucked out because after all this, maybe they got themselves a defenseman that I'm not going to say he's McCarr, but he's played like one of the best defensemen in the league right now. And that's John Marino. Simple trade, Ty Smith, third round pick. They get John Marino from the Penguins. John Marino has been nothing short of stupendous. One of the, I will die in this hill for the first 10 games. He's been one of the best defensemen in the league. He stops everybody's superstar. And he's going to get a real test tomorrow night with Connor McDavid. He's great on the penalty kill. And he's adding a little bit of offense, which is kind of more than I expected at this point. So what are your thoughts on John Marino? It, let's just talk about it. Yeah, so I mean that trade looks like highway robbery right now, especially since the Penguins are having defensive issues, and uh, I think Ty Smith has started the season in Wilkes-Barre, so I hope he gets mm-hmm. it together. You know, obviously rooting for him, but uh, I mean, yeah, you, there's like you, there's really nothing you can complain about with how Marino's played so far. Um, he's just made the right side of their defense so much deeper than it already was with Severson and Dougie Hamilton. You're just basically running three top four. Uh, defenders on the right side now and uh, you know, the offense is a little surprising that's for sure especially since he his offensive production kind of fell off uh, his last two seasons in Pittsburgh but that's also a little bit due just to the way Mike Sullivan kind of asks his defenseman to play in Pittsburgh I remember Dmitry Filipovich and uh, Cam Sharon were talking about this on the PDO cast back in the summer uh, just a little bit after the Devils had acquired uh, Marino from the Penguins they were talking about how, what Marino's adds to the to the devil's roster and how he's really good at defending the rush, which we've seen a lot of uh, in his first 10 games with the devils. Um, but like how, why his offensive production fell a little bit too. And like, aside from Chris Letang in Pittsburgh, they don't really ask their defensemen to do like too much offensively. It's like, you have this specific role. So you go do this. So like Marino is really good at defending the rush, stuff like that. They'd ask him to go do that. And like, you know, Letang is still, quite good so they're like Latang kind of does whatever he does so I think that's why we kind of seen the uptick in Marino's offensive game to start the season because uh, it's like I'm writing a, I'm writing about him of course in this 10 thoughts article and mm-hmm. uh, you know it's like his points are not empty calorie points either the, they're not just like a bunch of secondary assists like last night I mean that was a secondary assist on the stretch pass last night but I mean that stretch pass was to Boquist to uh, set up Sharon Govich's goal was insane um, and then he almost set up Boquist for his first goal of the season. I think it was like in the third period last night, which would have been a primary assist. So like he's getting meaningful points. And then like obviously the defensive contributions. I mean, he's just been fantastic defensively. The Devils are giving up, you know, going back to like the whole expected goals thing. They're like giving up no quality uh, chances when he's on the <laughs> ice. He's just been a brick wall defensively. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing to complain about with him so far. He's been uh, easily, I think the devil's best addition that they made so far this uh, that they had made this off season. So, since you're an avid listener of Thirty Two Thoughts, um, yeah. I'll just sneak in this last question before we let you plug everything that you're working on. 
What what were your thoughts when you you heard that you know the Devils and Damon Severson are working on a possible extension? And obviously, you know, Elliot Friedman said that term was the issue there, and that that's probably obvious to everybody and their mother. But what what were your thoughts <laughs> like with with John Marino in tow for for a few seasons, with Dougie Hamilton here for seven or you know six more years beyond this year? What are your thoughts about them and Simone Nemitz in the AHL? What are your thoughts of them even working, like even talking about a, a, an extension with Damon Severson? Uh, so I'm not surprised that they're talking about an extension with him. Uh, it's just I think it's going to depend a little bit on what they think of Simone Nemitz's development in Utica and how far away he is from being able to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think Severson's going to want a bit of a long-term contract, but I can't see the Devils really going anything more than – I would even say I think three years might be kind of the three limit years for them is what's in my head. Yeah, three years. Like, yeah, that seems perfect. Nemitz is not going to take that long, and then Seamus Casey looks like he'd probably be ready in a couple of years too. He's having a really good freshman season mm-hmm. at Michigan to start the season. You got a lot on the right side coming up, like high end prospects. It's not like you know Nemitz and Casey are just kind of these middling guys they picked. These were you know two their their two top picks in the last draft. Um, and I don't know if Severson would be good with a three-year deal. I mean, Friedman mm. said, you know, term would probably be the issue there. So I would think that's probably not going to fly with him. But, um, I mean, if he were to agree to that, it'd be interesting. Uh, mm. You know, it's a tough one to say because, like, I haven't been able to watch any of the Utica Comets games. So, like, I don't know how Nemitz is doing to start the season. I saw he scored his first goal, like, the other night. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to largely depend on how – far along they think he's how much, how much progress they're making he's making as a prospect um, and then they'll go from there but it's going to be an interesting decision because like if the devils are in the playoff spot by the trade deadline you, you can't really trade severson like you're going to want to go into that playoff race the final few weeks of the season with him on the roster so it's going to be an interesting decision that they're going to have to make in the coming months yeah just on that point i mean god forbid you trade like say you trade Severson at the trade deadline, and then Hamilton gets hurt. Now, yeah. like, what do you what do you do it? You know, then I'm calling PK Subban and be like, so about that retirement? Yeah, yeah how in shape are you? Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point too, because like part of the reason why the Devils have been so good defensively to start the season is that they have so much depth on the boom, like all like all three of their pairs. Like Brendan Smith may be taking one too many penalties, but I think he's actually been playing pretty decent hockey. Um, so like all three of their pairs have been pretty good. Like, yeah, say someone like Hamilton or Marino gets injured on the right side and you trade Severson, you're going to have some problems on your hands. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, like, I see people asking, like my friends asking me, like, are they going to trade Severson? I'm like, I don't really see a scenario where they trade him at the trade deadline unless they're like really out of it and they're going to be sellers. But I mean, with the way they're playing right now, that something would have to go terribly wrong. So um, yeah, that, that's. I think that's the most interesting decision that the Devils will have in season. It will be Severson. Like, what are they going to do with him as the deadline approaches and where they are in contract talks? Yeah, absolutely. Alex Chavansi, a great friend of the podcast, one we've had on many times and we'll have on many times again. Alex, let everybody know where they can find your work, what you're working on. Tell us a little bit more about that 10 thoughts piece that you're working on. Let us know what, what you got coming up. 
Yeah, so I'm working on 10,010 10 games. If people read it, hopefully I can make it like a recurring thing throughout the season where I do every 10 games. You know, kind of like what Dom uh, at the I'm not going to even bother trying to pronounce his last name. Dom does at the Athletic uh, with his 16 stats article. So it'd be a little bit similar to that. Then I'm also writing something for Todd Cordell uh, for Infernal Access this Saturday. I haven't really decided yet, but I got a couple ideas in mind. Um, and then, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. You can see it right there, Alex C underscore THW. That's where all my devil stuff goes. Um, and, yeah, that covers it. Alex Chavansi, one of the best Twitter followers that's out there, interacts with fans, answers specific questions, and just kind of puts the advanced stats into a palatable format. We appreciate you, Alex. Thanks for coming on. And when the stats get crazy and my head starts spinning again and I look like the guy from The Hangover trying to count cards, I'll call you again. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. It's always a good time. Thanks, Thanks Alex. Alex. That yeah, is, take care, guys. That is Alex Chavansi of the Hockey Writers. You can find him on Twitter at AlexC underscore THW. Nick. Oh, my goodness. And YouTube Live says, let's invite him into the inner circle of beef. The inner circle of beef. I don't know what that is. I don't know. But uh, it's like, Sam, you have this secret society that I don't know about. And and I'm just very, uh, very confused and scared. I want to call your friends, but it's so who else is beef? Is Miles Wood beef? The entire team. We've got ranking systems. Oh, why don't you why write about it on pucks and pitchforks so I know what you're talking about. All right. Well, I'm still trying to figure out like how do you, how do you put a metric on beefalytics? You know, uh, like it, a reliable it, metric. It, uh, what it, there there's a there's in a um I if I were you, my creative mind says you should take the equation for force, which is like weight times speed plus something. Like Find out what the, what is the mathematical equation of force and use that to, you know, replace some of the elements and, and make that your beef Well, I, I think you're on to something here. Like, uh, for example, uh, rank number three in the beef is Ryan Graves. He's mass. He's got a lot of mass. Yeah, mass. What did I say? Wait, mass. Mass. It's been a while since I've been in high school, Sam. So I, you know, a lot of, I used to be good at, I used to be good at math, but now I'm just like, I'm going to let other people do the math and I'm going to give them credit. Let me tell you something. I uh, scored very high on my SATs in math, but when I got to college, my math like went downhill. I don't know what happened. Did the same thing happen to you? Uh, I'm going to guess alcohol happened. It could have (laughs) been. I think I got like, what did I get? I think I got a 600 in math, which is fine. It's very good. Yeah. It's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Um, again, I, I'm not going to pretend like I was this great student, but I was, it was, I was. I, I remember I, when I, I got, I think I got either 680 or 700 in math. I, I don't remember. I was terrible. I, think, yeah, I ended up with an 11 and change. The funny thing is that I did worse in English and now I write for a living. <laughs> so it's like, well, whatever. I write for both of my livings, different. actually. Yeah, you're, everyone's uh, path's different. Um, I just hated studying, so I just didn't do it. So if yeah. I didn't remember it, 
I was very good at guessing. I was a good guesser. Um, so I, I got through a lot of things with B's and C's because I would guess well and just, you know, not pay attention. And, and yeah, it was, it was, I wasn't a good student, Sam, but it was fine. Um, I always say that I got through college. Like I got through my co- I I did phenomenal with the extracurriculars and, and internships and things like that. Like I was always really into those and I'd have two or three at this at like at once. But when it came to actual class, it, like Sam, my, my English class was a sci-fi and fantasy class, which was phenomenal. I thought it was great. One of my favorite classes, but like I was a journalism major. I mean, what was I doing reading Harry Potter? And I watched um, Firefly. That was my class. It was great. Yeah. You know, what? I, college was very interesting for me because I that's where I learned, like, in high school, you know, you study. Like, I, I actually studied it in high school. But by the time I got to college, I did more negotiating for my grade than studying. Yeah. It's yep. like I got a B minus, and it's like okay, office hours. How can I bump this up? Give me a path, professor. Yeah. And it was funny because uh, West Virginia University doesn't um, recognize pluses and minuses. Interesting. They only do full three point oh, four point oh, two point oh, whatever. Um, but one of my teachers still gave me a minus. He gave me an A minus to know that, like, he said, he, he was like, hey, if you come to class every day, I'll give you an A. And then he gave me an A minus, even though I went to class every day. And he was like, I guess he just didn't like my work. It was an acting class, Sam. It, it, it was fine. It was, you know, one of those things you just do because you think it's going to be easy. Um, and it was, but I got an A minus. Because I, I, I got one B in, like, what are they called? The capstone courses or whatever they are. I got one B, even though I got an A on every project, but I talked too much in class. I didn't know that was still a thing in college. I thought like you could just, uh, yeah. I thought we were adults, but yeah, we're taking attendance, you know? Um, yeah. Real quick. I paid before, you for this. Yeah. Real quick before we go, I remember um, I had the sociology class in the summer, figured out I'll take a couple of these gen eds away. But, you know, uh, but I, I so I took two college classes over the summer. One, the other one I got an A in. It was actually like a gen ed computer science class. Mm. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I wanted a 4.0 in the summer just to say it. Mm. So the that professor after the final, I think I got a B minus. So I actually went to his house. Now, this sociology professor is like a genius. Mm-hmm. But I think something happened to his brain, like LSD back in the 70s. Oh, boy. So he was just like, he's got like seven kids. His house is a wreck. You know, but he's some, you know, he's he's got his doctorate. And he's um, teaching at Penn State. And I just sat down with him. He's like, okay, write me a 30-page a, a paper on blah, 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 da, 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 da. And then I'll I'll give you your A. So I actually did it. And you know what? The guy never even read it. <laughs> but I got so he the just wanted to see it was a 30-page paper. Yeah, he just wanted to see a 30-page paper. He's just like, oh, great. I'll, like, 
<laughs> Tossed it on the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, hey, well, good for you, Sam. Um, before we go, um, I, I mean, it's so, it's so wild that it's funny when we have these two guest nights, right, Sam, because we don't get to talk much, but that's good. Like, it's good to get the guests talk and we want them to provide their analysis. But now there's so many, there's so many topics that I, I, you know, I want to talk about. I mean, Miles Wood has looked really good. We haven't talked about him that much. And then Dougie Hamilton quietly, I think he's been just fine. Um, and, um, but one name that we haven't brought up who's been really quite good is Sharon Govich. He's yeah. he's scoring again. He's looking really good. And and you know, you want to talk about Beefalytics, he'll throw the weight around. He'll he'll elude some defenders. He plays in the penalty kill, Sam. You know, and the penalty kill has been phenomenal. Um Sharon Govich is somebody who's who's is he is he underrated now? I think, you know, it's kind of like what you said about Jack Hughes. Like, no one's really writing about him. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of lost in mm-hmm. the amount of stories that's coming out from the New Jersey Devils. Uh, I'm sure Chris Westcott and that crew is having a field day because mm-hmm. you got Jesper Bratt, that one-year deal, a point a game, right? Mackenzie Blackwood is starting to play a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, is healthy. Vanacek had that shutout. Um, John Marino, uh, we knew he was a good player, but we didn't think he would be this effective early on, yeah. especially. And, I mean, against Columbus, over 80 chances. Wild. That's, that is like when, when Pete DeBoer... When Pete DeBoer coached the Devils, it was about swarming it up. That takes it to a whole new level, completely different level. Um, and it's the way they're winning is different. Now, our, our first guest tonight, Scott Maxwell, um, you know, you know, some of the things he said, I'm not un- understanding or not so sure if I agree. 